0: This episode of the Tabletop Submarine Podcast is produced by Cake Pie Games. Cake Pie Games, games that are a piece of cake to set up and easy as pie to teach. Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. You're your host. Voyagers, ye sailors of the... Wait, do we, are, actually, no, our submarine sailors? is. I, I, <laughs> I think they're just... That's actually
1: legit. Well, quote. they might be, but
0: they're also seamen, so... Sailors and seamen are sea people, whatever we want to call you. Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. It is so good to have you here today. My name is Josh, and with me is my number one submarine seaman.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm Andrew and I feel like I'm growing mermaid tail as we speak. I feel like you're you're changing it to see creatures and see people. It's it's fine. It's fine. We'll just see monkeys. Ooh, that's much cooler.
0: Just add water. For those of you who can't tell, we have a very special guest with us. Andrew, do you want to introduce them?
2: Yeah, I should probably do the job. Yes. Okay, so today we have a special guest with us. It is Sen Fung Lim. He is a game designer, a podcaster. He is everywhere in the industry. You've probably heard him on the Ludology podcast. You've seen him on the Meeple Syrup podcast. YouTube videos. You've probably seen many, many of his designs. Sen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me.
0: I think we do you kind of a disservice just calling you a game designer and podcaster. You're also a jujitsu black belt, a barbecue aficionado. You do a ton of different things. So if people who don't know how how who are you and what do you do in this industry? What do you do in life?
1: I am a mild-mannered psychology professor by day and a Mm -hmm. dynamic game designer by night. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. And I do a lot of writing and development and consulting in the tabletop field. Um, I do both role-playing games and card and board. So I'm sort of all over the table, which is nice mm-hmm. because my first real love was role-playing games. And board games became sort of a fallback when I was failing out of university actually that's that that is the story (laughs) i just told this the other day about how i switched over to board games because i could put board games on the shelf and not think about them Uh, whereas with role-playing games or other lifestyle games like magic the gathering or warhammer i'd have Mm -hmm. to do work like write the song that my bard was going to sing or paint some (laughs) miniatures or build a deck and so board gaming quickly replaced all of that when my life got flipped turned upside down
2: i am not the fresh prince of bel-air but i I could be Uh, that's where my head went and i wasn't (laughs) sure to bring that in just yet but yeah well done
0: you've been designing rpgs and board games for a long time Mm -hmm. and we are actually you're having a, a one a game come out here soon with off the page games with one of your design partners, you worked a couple times, Jay Cormier, who's actually been on this show before. Mm-hmm. Can you tell? Us, can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So Manifest Destiny is a game of cryptic exploration, meaning that you don't know where you're exploring. It's the story of Lewis and Clark plus monsters, and based on the comic yes. book of the same name, Manifest Destiny, which is an image title uh, written by Chris Dingus, who is the, I think he's the either the showrunner, producer, writer for Doom Patrol. And um, yeah, and the artist is, I actually only know him by his Twitter handle, which is uh, Shinola Head. Um, Matthew, (laughs) Matthew Roberts is his name. And it's a really cool comic book. And Jay and I had this mechanism. And so, you know, a lot of times it's theme first. A lot of times it's, oh, you get the IP and you make the game around it. But in this case, what happened was we had a mechanism which was originally actually scratch-and-win tickets uh, where you're exploring a desert island using scratch-and-win tickets. And what happens in the devising of the map that you'd scratch is there's a logic to what type of terrain is next to what type of terrain. You know, X is three spaces from Y and Z is always next to x and you know that kind of thing these can never be orthogonally adjacent so there's a logic a legend i guess uh for the maps and based on following that legend you can kind of logically deduce within a percentage chance that eventually gets to be 100 uh what you're going to scratch off next and so We had this mechanism and we were working with another game company on it and the game company liked it and then they pitched it internally. So something that you might not know about larger game companies, especially mass market Mm -hmm. facing companies, is that the person that you're working with, uh, Inventor Relations, whatever they're called, there's many, many names, they may not have the final say. They may have to pitch it internally to like a brand company, uh, sorry, a brand division or, you know, the game development division or something like that. And so the idea got pitched and they bounced it around a little while and say, yeah, we, we just can't do that. And so it became just this idea that we had. We're like, what can we do with this? And at the same time, interestingly enough, Lucky Duck had released a game that did you Scratch and Win. And so we talked to our friends at Lucky Duck. I have a, a bunch of games with them. And they told us, oh, yeah, don't do it because there was some <laughs> negative feedback from the audience about you know, the waste and all that kind of stuff. So mm. we pivoted hard to take out the scratch wood element, but replaced it with componentry that was you know, just larger and more overproduced. And, and, well, I guess not overproduced, it's just produced at the level that it should be. It has like things, right. tokens that fit over this display that hides what's in the map. And uh yeah, so that's where that came from. And and so I often ask on my Facebook page because I'm you know, Facebook friends with tons of people in the industry and who love comics mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So I asked, "Hey, what's a comic that has to deal very strongly with exploration?" And uh, Trisha from Skybound said, have you ever read Manifest Destiny? And we we're like, no, do tell us about it. And so we read it. She told us about it. And we had a meeting with uh, Skybound first and then the uh, artist and the author. And it became a thing where it's now that's what the game is. So we've had to obviously retool everything to fit the IP tightly Mm -hmm. which is what we do all the time right like we have ideas about mechanisms and sometimes it's mechanism and then we find an ip to go with it sometimes people say hey we'd like you to make a game for this comic and we go great let's make whatever we want from this and what would what would really reflect that story mechanically so neither is better you can start from either place in the end though what you want to do is have something that is resonant with the fictionality of the story, right? So the mechanisms that you have in your game have to tie tightly and reflect back upon the story that the comic is telling and vice versa. The comic has to inform us as designers as to what kind of mechanisms will fit within this game or not, right? So we have this the scratch and win turned into just a tile flipping game which is entirely like exploring it feels like you're exploring this is at the mm-hmm. beginning it's this vast blank canvas and as you turn things over it gets populated with different types of terrain and the different types of terrain that you find give you different resources and eventually there's monsters and you have to figure out how to kill the monsters and survive and while you're doing that there's all of these challenges like Can you find water? Can you deal with, you know, a flash flood? There's a hurricane coming. Uh, And because it's Lewis and Clark and the story of the expeditionary force crossing America, Mm -hmm. they dealt with all these kinds of bad things (laughs) that would happen uh, in inhospitable places. So then you add in the monsters and it becomes just that much more fun.
2: This game was not on my radar until I saw you mention it. I think you were demoing it at Gen Con this year. whatever. Mm-hmm. not. I'm so sad. I didn't get over and check it out myself. Uh, this artwork is spectacular. And this genre is this historical alternate fiction is always so interesting. And then you add in the cryptid aspect and it's, you know, early America. It's exploration. These are all really, really cool things. And I like all these things you're having to say. This is like a masterclass on how to, to turn something that's hidden to a large projected part of the world and turn it on to other people, right? Like, So you're bringing it in from a completely different aspect. So it's got a cult following in the comic book world, but mm-hmm. not everywhere else. Yeah. So now you're trying to bridge that from that world to this one. And You basically gave a two-minute masterclass on how to try to do that. Now, that was easier said than done, obviously. (laughs) So it takes people with a lot of practice, a lot of playtesting, a lot of trial and error, a lot of failure to get that bridge gapped. But if you do it right, you've just doubled the size of that fan base, which is very, very cool.
1: Yeah, I think that's really what we we want to do that. Jay and I are huge fans of comics and comic creators specifically. And so our goal is not to work with DC and Marvel. I, I've worked with both companies. They are f- fine to work with, except you're working with, like, their are lawyers. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not working with the creators of those comic books. But when we do things like Mind Management or Harold County or... And this one, Manifest Destiny, we're working and talking to the actual writers and artists that worked on the projects because they are what's called creator-owned comics, where the creators of the comic own the rights to the vast majority of the IP, um, depending on what their deal is with their comic book publisher. So when we got to work with Matt Kent on mind management, it's like, yeah, do whatever you want. I can draw new stuff for it. I can You can write new stories for it, all this stuff. And it's very cool to play in other people's worlds, but also much cooler to talk to them and learn, like, what did you mean when you drew this? Or what did you mean when you wrote that? Right. And because we're dealing with kind of, you know, edgier comics, um... Not edge lordy comics, but edgier comics, in <laughs> in that they they have they have a real story to them, a real thing. We get to find out what those are, and then imbue the game with the same message, uh, which is why they resonate, I think, so strongly with fans of the comic. But then also they create fans for the comic, which was another thing that we really wanted to do. Like we just want people to like the things we like. I think that's, that's part Mm -hmm. of it, right? Like nerds are like that, right? We say, Oh, do you like this? I like it too. It's part of human nature. Let's talk about this thing that we both like. And so I, I'm going to, I'm going to claim this, that we are responsible for this. It may not be true, but I like thinking we are (laughs) that, uh, there's been like reprints of Mind management after we did the kickstarters because so many people said, Oh, this is a comic. I can read this. There's more to this world. And they went out and bought it. And so it's a funny thing to talk about comic book fans versus game fans. And, you know, there are some people who do one side and some people who do both sides of that kind of divide. But they're, they're not the same. Um, comic mm-hmm. fans... Who are just comic fans? They have a budget. They have several mm. comics probably that they pull every month in their in, on their pull list, put in their box, and they collect them. And if you ask them to spend fifty bucks on a game, that's like ten comics they can't buy right. that month. Whereas gamers are like used to spending like a hundred dollars on a game, and you know if they wanted to get the comic, they'd just go buy all of it. Mm-hmm. It's a very different. It's a very different, very different market. Uh, but it's interesting in that way that the game side can push comic sales in some ways. And I, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, it may have just been happenstance. But also, <laughs> right after the Kickstarter, it's like, yeah, we need to put another print run together. So it was uh, it was neat to see. Well, I mean, when you think about it, like we've... Sold, I can't remember what the total volume is right now, but it's over 10,000 copies of the game. And if you think of even just a percentage of those Mm -hmm. people want to read the comic, those comics have to exist at some place to buy, (laughs) right? So, Mm -hmm. and again, a lot of people in board gaming don't want digital, they want the analog copy. And so, they're looking Mm -hmm. for the omnibus. They're looking for the collected versions. uh, And they're beautiful. Matt's collected versions of My Management are lovely. And so, I'm hoping that the same thing happens for Tyler and Cullen with Harold Mm -hmm. County. And I'm hoping that the same thing happens with uh, Matthew and uh, everybody for um, Chris for... Manifest Destiny. And we've already had people come up to us and say, oh, what's the next one you're doing? We'll buy that comic now and read it yes. in preparation, which is lovely. So I think we're doing our job. Making good games, yeah. pushing comics. Um, sequential storytelling, by the way, uh, since this is a uh, show about storytelling, is hands down my favorite favorite form of storytelling like more than movies more than anime which i love as well more than tv shows more than books even and i'm a book fiend uh sequential storytelling so the art of comic books and strips and things like that is hands down my my most favorite style of telling telling a story
2: Love There's it. So much that you just finished saying that we don't unpack there, but I'm going to go back just a sure. slight bit and we'll talk about this. I think this is a natural transition to what we're doing in our hobby because we've started to see the elevation of art in games, right? It used to be tokens and chits had basic icons on them. And now we've moved into this thing where, you know, art really is driving the sales of a lot of these games, sometimes so much that the mechanisms or the game design itself isn't as good as the art that's being portrayed in it. Mm-hmm. So for us to take on another artistic genre and bring that in only makes sense. So off the page games is ahead of the curve, but I think doing a service to both industries to bring amazing, talented artists and individual stories that we've not heard yet. I mean, the movie industry is starting to, to, to bring comic books in that aren't just Marvel and stuff like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a natural transition to storytelling, and I think we as people through the history have craved interesting stories, and here's just another place to tap into. So congratulations for you for, and, and your company for, for doing that kind of a thing.
1: Uh, I do have to I, I do have to interrupt you there. It is not my company. It is Jay's company, no. and it's okay. It's yeah, okay. I say it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I am just very, very, uh, what's the you word? You work
0: with Jay a lot, yeah. No,
1: no, no, and that, I, I do, and Jay's my best friend, so... Um, but I, I just I like to give credit where credit is due. And all of sure. the the company stuff is Jay executing. He does call me on a daily basis to say, should I do this? Should I do this? And I tell him. But if he does it, that's because he agrees, not because I told him. Right? <laughs> uh and, and, well, and really right now we're we're in the discussions as both of us are getting into our fifties. We're in the discussion about what are we gonna do when we retire? <laughs> Are we gonna like? Are we gonna like do this full time? Can we do this full time? And what would that look like? And we don't know yet um, what that would look like, but it's it's in the it's in the cards.
0: Yeah, well, going back to what you are saying too about you know people buying comic books, I am a direct proof of that when I saw Mind Management come out and I saw it was a comic book, and then I saw Horror County Pot out and I actually got talking, started talking with Jay and some of my other friends who play who play comic books who read comic books. I went to a comic book store near where I live uh, memory lane comics down in Wilmington. It's great. And you know, as a gamer, you know, I am used to spending like $250 when I splurge mm-hmm. on the games. And so I walk in, I knew the comic book people there because they would come in. They like buying Pokemon stuff and you know, they like, they like their trading card games. And so they knew me, I walk in and I buy $150, almost $200 worth of comics, just in one goop, not even thinking much of it. And they were just flabbergasted. And, I was like whoa wow you're you're buying a lot because I was just buying the omnibuses like mm-hmm. I didn't want to wait I wanted all my stuff bro so I bought like right. it was I got you know the lost Ronin um all the once in future books that were ready to go and things like that so it was it's just funny how how you're right you know it, it really is bridging the gap and now I have lots of comics that I really love and enjoy and in fact I'm because of manifest destiny I usually watch what you guys work on because I usually trust that kind of like there's there's like a a trusted like if the ip is good they're off the page will probably make a game out of it or vice versa type thing Mm -hmm. and so i'm hoping to get down there and see if they have manifest destiny but to kind of wrap up the banter if you just i want to ask you because i asked jay this i'm not on our episode but off the episode if you could have let's say a top two or top three comics you can make a game out of yeah i have my top three and i'll give my top three if andrew if you have something i'm not sure you're read too many comics but (laughs) if you want to say your top three if you could work and make a gamut, what would they be?
1: Uh, Usagi Ojimbo. And you, you already mentioned a bunch of the turtle stuff. So um, Usagi is sort of adjacent to the turtles. He's mm-hmm. been in a lot of the turtles' media, on the cartoons, the TV shows, that kind of stuff. Uh, but Usagi Ojimbo is the story of a anthropomorphic rabbit who is a mendicant warrior, so a traveling samurai, a ronin, uh, in mm-hmm. actually medieval Japan. And the tales that have lasted, like, Years and years and years. And part of it is just because I love Stan uh, Sakai, who is the artist, writer, letterer. He's everything for that book. And he's like the most consistent artist ever. Like he never misses a deadline uh, ever. And so it's just an amazing story. Um, other comics that I'd like to do, that is, that is, that is a challenging question. Uh, Usagi for sure is number one. Uh, just because I love it dearly. I have a whole shelf of comics. I would love to work on something for uh, Powers, which we did try to work on, and it just kind of got kiboshed. Uh, But, I, you know, Powers is this weird one because it has been with a bunch of different um, studios. So that would be a hard one. I'm not really sure. And then a third one, um, you know, I think... While I really love Black Sad, uh, which is another anthropomorphic animal, when I, I have this penchant for <laughs> anthropomorphic animals, I might say Granville because of the the world. So I, I think that Black Sad has better art and storytelling, uh, but Granville is this like anthropomorphic animal detectives in like this steampunk world and it's just kind of cool although laxadaisy is also one that's really cool which is just anthropomorphic animals but in st louis during prohibition so they run like a a speakeasy and it's gangsters and gangster cats nice it's very
2: cool gangster i'm in cat. yeah that sounds cool
0: awesome cool I'll, I'll give if i'm just gonna give my three to mm-hmm. that because i Go like ge- i like talking about this stuff so first one, obviously, I mentioned The Last Ronin. They're making a video game now, which I'm super excited about. But that story is my favorite, one of my favorite just stories in general. I love The Last Ronin Ninja Turtles arc. Uh, number two would be God Country, which is just a single uh, single book about an old man who has like Alzheimer's. And he picks up this sword that's like the, the, the god sword, the god of swords. And becomes this awesome bad egg trying to fight off of different gods in this super de- desert-like <laughs> western setting. Really enjoys like nine issues. It was, I I just love love reading over and over again. And thirdly, I probably would say Once in Future, which is a pretty Mm -hmm. popular comic that's like Arthurian. And I think with lots of people that there should be more Arthurian games. And I think there's a lot to work with there.
1: Yeah, and I mean, so now that I'm thinking about it, I would absolutely love to make a game for Tinian's um, Something is Killing the Children. I think that would be ridiculous. ridiculously fun to do. Um, I haven't read that, so I didn't say it. Oh, you should <laughs> so read it. You should really, 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 really read it. And then, uh, you know, there's a couple other ones that that I, I think would just make brilliant games. So, yeah, I mean, I, I won't talk about all of them. I would love to do yeah, a lock. In, I would great. love to do a lock and key game. <laughs> Uh, because a lot of the ones that were done weren't so great, I guess but <laughs> but because but I love the comic I think the comic is great the show was okay but the comic was brilliant so I don't know we'll see, we'll see lots
0: of the story lots yeah. of the story well, we've been talking a lot I could talk forever about comic books and some of the things I'm excited about but well, let's go ahead and go into our pre-launch and we can keep on moving
1: the pre-launch get to know us and our guests
0: So in the pre-launch, we talk about one game we played recently and whether we enjoyed it or not. Andrew, I'm going to hand it off to you because you've played kind of what's becoming a evergreen in the hobby.
2: Yeah, I finally, after having it for, I don't know, six months now, broke out parks and learned it and played it. And it's a very solid game really enjoy the idea of this worker placement but with movement with collecting resources and spending them and of course the art is gorgeous uh i think i will absolutely be picking up all the expansions now at this point and uh, i'm gonna check out trails too which apparently is a spiritual successor kind of in the same genre and vibe and stuff like that so i'll be checking those out so yep Keymaster has my money they're gonna go ahead and take some more from me So that's <laughs> what i have been playing sen what have you been up to
1: I played Escape the Dark Sector, uh, which is by themeborn Games, and it was great. Um, it's very reminiscent to me of like old school GW games, uh, so Games Workshop or um, like like dark, black and white, gritty, kind of grim, dark future. And I okay. played it with my boys, and we just had a good time. It's it's not that deep of a game, uh, but <laughs> the world is really cool. The art is, it reminds me, so, okay, I have this, I have a, a very funny nerd story to tell is that there's a game called Chainsaw Warrior, which was a solo game, by the Game Design Workshop, which or maybe it was Games Workshop. They're two separate companies, actually. But uh, yeah, it was Games Workshop, Chainsaw Warrior. And I I think it just had a Kickstarter like maybe five years ago to like reissue it. And it was a solo game. And I used to play that in my closet by myself, like in my closet, which is not a walk-in closet when I was a kid. It was just like a little closet in the dark, playing this game by myself. And I would play over and over again and over and over again. And this game feels like that. It has that same kind of dicey luck story driven, climbing a tower. Well, this one's escaping a space station, but um, the Chainsaw Warrior one was climbing a tower to kill like these mutants at the top. And this is like escaping mutants to get to your spaceship because you're in a prison for whatever reason. And so it was, it was just great because it had those nostalgic vibes and I played with my boys and they enjoyed it. And that was super fun. Oh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to show you this these are these are my comic shelves. Um, just a bunch, Ooh. two. There are just two of them. I have a whole other shelf over there, uh, but I would make a six six gun game in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, <laughs> I I love <laughs> six gun. So that that's one that I forgot to say, um, because that is uh, a wonderful comic series. If you like Weird West comics, uh, six gun is hundred percent right up your alley. It's uh, Cullen Bunn is the writer, who's also the writer of Harrow County, and the artist is my friend Brian Hurt, um, and it's just lovely. So that that is another good one that I would greatly enjoy making a game for. And then this shelf over here is mostly my Japanese manga, and then some other stuff that's here. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a whole bunch of really good material in comics but again like we really want to work with the creators that would want to work with us and so yeah. i'm looking at like head lopper uh which is really cool kind of high fantasy like like high fantasy i don't know if it's high fantasy but it's fantasy uh, and <laughs> angie McLean is a, a great kind of artist guy who's just laser wolf is the company it's it's just a fun comic so that might be another one that we might say, hey, do you want to make a game? Um, and of course, you know, Matt's always fun to work with. So there's a bunch of Matt Kent properties that would be also super fun to to do stuff with. And maybe Berserker. Maybe we can get uh, Keanu in on this. That'd be fun. <laughs> That'd be fun.
0: Honestly, I could talk about comics and stuff all, all day. So That's I, a different I podcast.
1: Yeah, different podcast.
0: <laughs> different <laughs> podcast, sadly. Josh, but what have you I'm been gonna, playing? I, so I going to make this quick so we can get into Sin story. I played Thunder Road Vendetta. Newest game from Restoration Games. If you haven't heard of it yet, you know, it's a game where you're – it's Mad Max the game. You're playing a bunch of cars, shooting and fighting each other, trying to explode and be the last one standing. I'm not going to belabor the point that everyone's making. This is a great game. Mm -hmm. Um, It is very simple. It's very luck driven. There is strategy to it. I will say there is lots of tactics to it and how you move your cars and the risk assessment. So it's not just a luck fest but it is a lot of luck and how your cars blow up and – Roll the dice and how things work like that. But if you go into it wanting to have forty-five to sixty minutes of stupid fun, it is great. Like I, I loved every moment of it. My my game ended very anticlimactically with basically me getting a flat tire and losing the race. <laughs> Once, <laughs> I was hoping to get blown up. I, I would have been more satisfied if I was blown up. I just got like. A Are you flat telling
2: tire. me your flat tire didn't cause you to flip over and and no, land on, on top just, of the helicopter a, or anything?
0: Just a flat tire. Just a That's flat. That's so sad. So tire. sad. And, you know, it's it's whatever. But, you know, Thunder a great, great game. Well, let's wrap this up. My instruments are ready to go. Let's head to Sen's story. So, in the dive, we give Sen the helm. So, Sen, regale us with Tales of Yore.
1: Well, I mean... What do you want to hear? <laughs> just
0: what, what's your favorite tabletop memory? It can be one that's recently, just your favorite tabletop memory and experience, your favorite
1: story to share. Oh, there's so many of them. Um, that's hard. I've been I've been in the industry for a long time. I've been playing games since I was six. So seriously, um, so it's like forty five years of. Of hobby gaming. So not just like I was six and I was playing, you know, snakes and ladders. No, I was six years old playing Dungeons and Dragons with adults. Nice. And so it's been forever. It's, it's really a big part of my life. So I don't know exactly uh, where to, where to, where to go on this one. Let me think, let me just, let me just think about a story to tell you that will be interesting. I guess, I guess here's a, here's an interesting story is that When you're in the industry and you go to conventions, you don't play games. And (laughs) as you're getting into, both of you are getting, you know, more and more embroiled in the industry, you'll realize that, oh, I spent a lot of time talking to people and having meetings with people and going out for meals Mm -hmm. with people. And I played very, very few games. And so what I did one year, this is like right before the pandemic. So probably 2018, 2019 is I resolved. Mm -hmm. I said, Hey, I am going to run a one-shot role-playing game every con. Who wants in? And we had a bunch of people who would say, yeah, I'll do that. You know, just reserve four or five hours, one of the nights, and we'll do a one-shot adventure and have fun. I'm going to do that
2: next time. So I'm going to sign up for next time.
1: Okay. Uh, I haven't started up a game, but you're in. (laughs) (laughs) And it it was just so fun just sitting and telling stories and rolling some dice and introducing Mm -hmm. people to more modern systems, I guess. I mean, obviously, there's a modern system of D&D, but different games. So, because we didn't want to play D&D all the time, it's like, hey, have you ever played mm-hmm. Dread? Hey, have you ever played Powered by the Apocalypse? Yes. Hey, have you ever played, you know, Apocalypse Keys? Hey, have you ever played whatever? Avatar Legends. Sure, I guess that's a game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: Powered by the Apocalypse. Yeah, it's still a Powered by the yeah, apocalypse,
1: power yeah. apocalypse engine. But yeah, so, <laughs> uh, have you ever played Forged in the Dark? So, we'd We'd play all these games and introduce people to new systems, and it was just remarkable to have people who were very much, you know, gamers say, "I've I've, I've never played a role playing game before. What 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 is it like?" And being the person to get to introduce them to that, and I thought that was really special and really fun. And at the gathering of friends. I met some new friends at The Gathering who had never role-played before. We're like, hey, come and play and you'll join in. It was uh, me and a couple other people who I've, I know very well for many, many years playing and then these two new people. And at the end of the game, uh, it was a game of dread, actually. And at the end of the game, they were saving their high school prom from an invasion of worm-like creatures. And they had seen up above the high school, the alien mothership coming down. And one of the characters was a baseball player as their their playbook. It's not really a playbook in Dread, but that's who they chose to be. They're they're the jock. And they were a baseball player. And the nerds, of course, had made a firebomb out of the chemistry lab because that's what you do when you're in high school. You make a firebomb. MacGyver-esque. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to take this firebomb and I'm going to use my baseball bat and I'm going to bat it up to and hit the, the, um, the alien mothership. And I didn't know what he was doing, but he took a bottle, like a bottle of like, you know, mm-hmm. a pop bottle or something like that. And as he was doing it, he, if you understand dread, he was like, this is my baseball bat. And he batted the tower down. And in oh, dread, it was gosh. it was awesome because in no. dread, <laughs> that is that is like going out in a blaze of glory, right? It's, it's like a Jenga tower, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a Jenga tower that you make pulls on, and normally you're like so fraught with like trepidation as you're pulling this because if you and the tower falls while you play, you die, right? And but he's like okay. nope, going all out, and he takes this, he had this planned in his head that he was going to do. He took this bottle, like a plastic pop bottle, from behind his back and just. Bashes the tower down. And, you know, obviously, when you die, he gets to narrate his death. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I knocked it up. I knocked the ah. that uh, the was firebomb up into the sky. And the chemicals coalesce around the UFO. And the UFO falls and it smashes into the top of the school that I'm on. And I, I'm covered in, like, flaming chemicals as I die. But the school is safe. And it was just really epic to be part of this person's very first role playing experience, and they pulled off this glorious, glorious thing that could only happen in a role playing game. Like you'll you'll never have that experience in a board game in the same way, right? You have some swinging experiences, right. but you don't get this where you're telling that story, and you know this is the story that I tell when people ask me. So why do you like role playing games so much? <laughs> it's because of this. This stuff can happen. This is right. amazing right because my my whole my whole sentiment around role playing is as the game master i'm a zero prep game master i don't draw maps i don't write you know backstory i just go with the flow because i've been doing this for so long Mm. i'm I'm good at it but my goal as a game master is really just to watch my friends tell awesome stories that's it if i can do that i'm a happy person (laughs) what what happens next i want to know too right so yeah, yeah,
0: I I really love zero prep systems that like that. Like there are there's a whole thing going on with lots of you know new role playing games coming out where it's zero prep. You just jump into it mm-hmm. and things like that. But you know, Dread is one game I've always wanted to play. Like we, we've run it at my FLGS where I kind of me me and me and another coworker there we've kind of started the whole like hey we want to play other games besides D and D. Even though we have a huge, large DD crowd, so we run different systems every month. Mm-hmm. Dread is one game that is, it's, I've always, I've just never been able to sit down and actually play it, but I've always watched and people just say how amazing it is. And it, it does, like, it, RPGs are just so good at, like, bringing out the best in people, sometimes the worst as well. Awesome. Also, the best in people. It's, I, I love. Role, I'm so glad we get to talk about role playing games because I barely get to talk about it on the podcast. But what what are, what are some of the best systems you think that how, that you know board gamers could play if they want to jump into RPGs? Maybe are intimidated by something like Fifth Edition D anD D.
1: Yeah, so I think I Dread is the one that I kind of go to all the time. Say, hey, if you've never role played, Dread is real simple. And it uses. Do you have a Jenga Tower? Yeah, ex- exactly. It uses a mechanism that you might get because you're a board gamer. Um, and a lot of games now, a lot of tabletop role playing games are including a lot of more board game centric mechanics in it. So for Jiangsha Blood in the Banquet Hall, which is a game that I wrote with Banana Chan, we use like a board that represents, it's like a menu uh, for your character sheet. And you flip over cards when things happen to you, right? And the same thing for the restaurant that you're running. It's a it's a circular kind of sheet where you have cards that get placed on them to cover up your powers when it gets destroyed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's, uh, I think, a, a new... Well, not new, but a much more commonplace mechanism to see is using more of the tabletop, other side of the tabletop stuff to give people more of a physical concept. Because a lot of people they're like I don't want to paint miniatures and make terrain but I also don't want to just do theater of mind and they kind of want the in between mm-hmm. and so yeah. I think the more of the modern games are you know helping people with that in between by providing them with physical narrative hooks uh so yeah I think that's a good one um I think uh a qu- the quiet year is an amazing kind mm-hmm. of 3 yes. to 3 hour 4 hour experience that you can end up with a keepsake at the end which is like the map that you drew that's a big part of role playing games for me is keepsakes which is why banana and i kind of design like we design is we want people to walk away from the table with something that they can remember their game by oh yeah i remember that game where i did this thing because they have a keepsake from it so we purposely do that um and it's, it's quite powerful. My mom, I was just saying this to another person the other day, is that my mom was cleaning up the basement and she gave me a binder. She goes, oh, this is your binder. I said, oh, I don't, I don't know what's in it. She goes, oh, it's your binder from math class. I'm like, oh my God, I know exactly what's in it. It's not math. <laughs> it's all because math <laughs> class. So what happens in math class is you get graph paper, and what does a Dungeons and Dragons player do when they see graph paper? Mm-hmm. They make a dungeon. They draw a dungeon. And yep. so my my math book is filled with equations, but also dungeons. And so it was just a hoot looking back through them and going, oh my gosh, these are awful. <laughs> you know, fifty year old Sen would make a much better dungeon than this. And so it was just really fun to see all of that as well. And that's what I do love about role-playing games as well as the memories that you build when you play are so powerful because you were actively part of it, which is kind of different from board games. And a lot of board games, while you do have agency, while you are doing the actions, you didn't create a lot of the story that's emerging from it. You did through your actions, but, you know, is it really the same as making up even just the name of your character, which is why... Legacy games, when they hit this, you know, they were so powerful because it's like I got to name the person. I got to, like, name the name of the cities that are, oh, Mm -hmm. and when it gets destroyed, that hurts me. You know, and I'm ripping up cards and it's tactile. Oh, my gosh. Right. So there's a whole lot of, you know, psychology if you want to get the psychology of it all. There's a whole lot of psychology in, you know, the naming of things. You know, what's in a name? A whole lot names are really important names give power as we all know mm-hmm. if we're into mythology you know you never tell an elf your name or you never tell the demons your name right because once they know <laughs> your true name they can bind you and you don't want to be bound to a demon so anyway don't don't tell us your true name josh <laughs>
0: <laughs> you'll never hear my true name there you go ever. so andrew i want to go to you really quick so you're, you haven't played too many rpgs really at all um i think you have only played D, right
2: I played D and D when I was like six, seven, eight, and I played it with a really terrible dungeon master. So it's not like I had a real life experience in D and D. So yes, I am looking forward to being the guinea pig in someone else's RPG at some point.
0: <laughs> so, so looking at so looking at that perspective, then what do you think from more of a board game perspective? What are some of the biggest hurdles board gamers face in trying to jump into RPGs?
2: This is a really good question. I think one is access point. Uh, I think having someone who knows what they're doing and has the experience of like, say, a Josh or a Sen who can bring other people into and make a memorable first experience is strong. Uh, It's huge. And a lot of people don't have access to people like you, or at least not enough access to have a four or five hour gaming experience, let alone multiple four or five hour gaming experiences. Um, you know, there are tons of people out there looking to startup groups, but I'm not sure a startup group is is a good spot for a person who's a first timer. It's a little bit like getting into a random game with any person off the street. Like you can, you can guess and you're probably going to have a fairly decent time. But is it going to hook you? Is it going to really bind you into having the experience you need to have to make this a hobby you chase further down the road? Um, But I do think that conventions are a great place to do that kind of thing at. But we are talking about a major time commitment, too. And so if I'm going there and I only have two days or three days worth of experiences, is that where I'm going to put my time? Well, if Sen's running it, yes. If Josh is running it, yes. I, I'm in on those people and people who are really good at doing it and having the experience behind that. But I think knowledge and access to people who are great or even better than average is is difficult. That's an interesting
1: point. And I love it because I've over the last couple of years and now working into the next couple of years, I've been working on two projects that kind of take care of that in a lot of ways. So for the new kids on bikes edition. So Ooh. the second edition of kids on bikes, which is a great game uh, by Doug Lewandowski and John Gilmore, my partners in crimes for other things. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we wrote the introductory model for it. So Laura Cameron and I wrote the introductory model for that, which is specifically built to teach a G new GM, how to GM. So it, it, like holds hands across the adventure and gradually lets it go of those hands <laughs> by the end of the adventure where you're kind of more co-creating the story with the players etc 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 so it's a little bit on rails and i know some mm-hmm. gms don't like that but we're talking new gms here so it's yeah, a little bit on GMs rails Some GMs don't
2: need that no yeah.
1: and it's going to kind of funnel you through this haunted house experience, so it's pretty cool. Um, Because we wanted to hit some major teaching points, so it has to be a little bit on rails for that. And the other project that I'm working on right now is called Whisperstone. So uh, Nick Trahan is the designer of the system, and I'm on board with the FlatOut crew out of the Pacific Northwest to help design and develop the rest of the game around it. and why it's so cool is because it's super physical it is a puzzle based system when i say puzzle i don't just mean like sudoku i mean like physical puzzle pieces that you slot together to make your character out of Ooh, puzzle okay. pieces and so if you want to use a weapon can you can you attach it to the puzzle if not you can't use it right oh and so it, i like it this. answers a lot of the questions that <clears throat> normally you'd have to like sift through you know look up tables and picture books and you know, tomes for, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, you'd have, you know, a player's handbook. You don't need that for Whisperstone. You don't need any books for Whisperstone to learn how to play it. You just, here's your puzzle pieces. This is your person. You know, what clothes do you want to wear? Put it in there. Does it fit? Great. If it does, awesome. If it doesn't, you can't. Even things like encumbrance are managed in a puzzle system, where as a character, you have a frame that's a puzzle frame, that you put together Mm -hmm. because you can add things on the outside of it. But on the inside, if your stuff doesn't fit in the inside, you can't carry it. It's gone. You got to lose it. You got to drop it, which is wonderful because now nobody's doing math, right? Because math is the one thing that really does slow down a lot of the gaming. And it also makes people into, especially a bunch of nerds like us, into like min-maxers where it's like, well, uh, I'm going to maximize what I can carry and, and, you yep. know, sell. So I'm only carrying the lightest but most expensive things. And let me spend three hours sorting through all my gear to do Optimizing. that. Optimizing. Right, right? So yeah. because you can't do that with this, or you don't have to do that with this as, as much anyways, because it's like very spatial. It's like, I'm look at it. Can it fit? If not, can't take it, right? And so things like getting poisoned or having different conditions, they go in your inventory, right? Because then mm. it's like, oh, if I'm poisoned, I'm weak, so I can't carry as much. Oh, I need to heal myself to get rid of that poison token. Now I can fit more stuff in my inventory. So there's all these neat kind of physical mechanisms that reflect those more math-based and paper-based things that we used to do in most other RPGs. And so Whisperstone is really built as that, hey, you got four people who want to play a role-playing game? One person is the Dungeon Master or the Adventure Master, whatever we call it. And then the mm-hmm. other three are these characters. These are the classes. That's all there are. Go
2: for it. Um, uh, yeah. You got me already signed up. Go ahead. I'll jump on any playtests. I'll jump on any, tests, I'll jump in any <laughs> previews. Just let me know. I'm already in.
0: Yeah, that's great. I, I think it's actually a really cool thing that we're kind of seeing the melding of board games and rpgs in a lot of yes. ways so like there's the root rpg fan i love the root rpg mm-hmm. i love root the board game and i play both of them pretty consistently they just um, ryan lockett for instance just announced world of rzm he's doing an, an rzm rpg which i've been begging for secretly yes. in my heart <laughs> for a very long time so where do you see sen mm-hmm. in your professional opinion <laughs> the board game world and the rpg world are they going to be continuing to come together and intertwine more and kind of like become one or is it going to stay a little separate? Like, where do you see this industry and those two kind of hobbies in a couple of years?
1: Well, I mean, I definitely do see people meeting in the middle. I also know that mm-hmm. there's going to be camps that are like, no, all I do is board game and no, all I do is RPGs. And even with the, each of those camps, there are huge divisions, right? Between people who mm-hmm. are like, oh, I only do OSR, like Dungeons and Dragons, Dungeon Call Classics, that <laughs> kind of thing. And oh no, I'm only I only do story gaming. And you know, some people argue, you know, is story gaming even role playing, and it's like, yeah, it is. Of course, it is. So there's there's all sorts <laughs> of people. Nerds are nerds. They're going to nerd. Yes. And they're going to divide up into little sub camps that they would like to be in. But I do see more people getting involved in more of these things. And we saw it over the pandemic, right? So the pandemic was a huge shift. If you know anything about uh, Dungeons & Dragons, Dungeons & Dragons had its best year ever in 2020. 2020, the year of the pandemic. Why? Because all because these you people- you can play it over Zoom. Yes, all these people who have always thought, you know what, I'd really like to do that. I got nothing else to do. Let's dive Mm -hmm. into Dungeons & Dragons. And so they did, and it worked, and they liked it. And with the rise of virtual tabletops, um, so even better than Zoom are a lot of the virtual tabletops like Roll20 and Dice and whatever, where you can project a map and move little figures around and and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I mean, so we all use Tabletop Simulator to make board games, but it was really... I think initially devised as a virtual tabletop with three-dimensional mechanisms and physics for role-playing games, I believe. Yes. Which is why you see all those. You can just grab like an ogre and it'll be animated ogre with a big club. Um, right. They exist. Why? Because role players. We've spent a lot of time down here in the
0: RPGC. It's been an absolute, <laughs> absolute pleasure. Let's go ahead and go on the sonar and see what I'm looking forward to playing in the future.
2: Oh, I love the RPGC. That was well done, sir. I like that.
0: <laughs> On the sonar, we look. We talk about one game we're looking forward to playing in the future. I'm going to start this off because we're going off continuing the RPGC stuff. I am looking forward to playing the Star Wars RPG from Fantasy Flight Games. Now, I've already played one session of this. This is the part of the monthly campaign I do for my store, trying to introduce new systems to people. And this is a very interesting one, speaking of kind of more narrative-focused RPGs. It -hmm. feels like... Now, this RPG is kind of done, for lack of a better term. They're not really producing any more content for it, but there is a ton of content for it. Like, there's three different rule sets and a bunch of different subsets beyond that. So there's more than enough to dig your teeth into. But the Star Wars RPG uses custom dice where you're rolling them, and based on whether you get successes or failures, you tell a story... The GM's responsibility is to tell a story based on what you see on those dice. And it's kind of a, in my opinion, a little bit of a weird mixture of them trying to get the aspects of maybe some more traditional role-playing systems but with more of a narrative focus together. Okay. Right now I am enjoying it. I, I I think that there might be one too many dice actually used on a table, but I have the app, so it kind of streamlines that a little bit. But, you know, it's fun to play in the Star Wars world. I'm incorporating different things this is like right after order 66 using the force and destiny as kind of a base guide so i'm doing lots of older public stuff though i'm throwing hk 47 is kind of like the main overarching like you know person in this And those who like know star wars will know who that is and stuff so i'm hoping that as i go throughout the month and finish the campaign i'll have an appreciation for it but i'm optimistic but that's a star wars the rpg uh, Sen, what are you looking forward to playing in the future?
1: I'm actually looking forward to playing what one of you was playing. I'm looking forward to playing Thunder. Is it Thunder or Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's sitting on my, the Maximum Chrome edition is sitting on my shelf. It's still in the shrink nice. wrap. And my my son, my oldest son, is coming home for the weekend. My nephew just got back from his schooling in Australia, it's like let's let's do that. That or Robot Quest, which is the little well, it's not that little it's it's a little board game with a cute robots that wise wizard released and it got here while i was at gen con and they look so cute and so i would like to play that maybe too so there you go <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome good choices you're gonna love you're gonna love Mag- you're gonna love uh, thunder road then andrew
2: so for me speaking at gen con i saw this demo at gen con wild tiled west this looks like a very, very interesting game and might just be up my personal alley. Uh, this is a, essentially a polyomino drafting game where you roll a bunch of dice. The dice get placed out on the map and then that dictates which polyominoes you have access to. And so as stuff gets cleared, you get access to other things. And so this is very interesting. Then you place the your board, and whatever you cover, you get that resource. But you're also trying to fill out a specific section of the map to do different things. And then there's bandits and stuff like this. I haven't played it. I just saw the two-minute demo, but this looks fantastic, and I cannot wait to try this out.
0: Awesome. Well, we've kept sending down the submarine for long enough let's go ahead and let's shoot right back up to the surface and we'll let you go
2: i thought for sure you were going to put in a sea creature of some sort of rpg thing i was just waiting for you to drop in your rp kraken or i don't know what the hell you were going to drop in. i would have
0: probably done something more call cthulhu-esque let's do that
2: then let's let's redo that one what do you want me to say (laughs) i would just say something you know like an octopus face or something i don't know whatever you want to do okay (laughs) <laughs> give, me a, give me a Cthulhu creature. Come on now. Help me Cthulhu out.
0: Cthulhu creature. Okay. Well, oh, look over there. There's Dagon just chilling out, you know, doing, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> doing whatever Dagon does. Let's go ahead. You know what? I don't have to deal with this. Let's shoot back. We're going to the surface again. <laughs> well, Sen, thank you so much for giving some of your time today. We know you're an incredibly busy person. If people want to support you, they want more Sen in their life, what can they do?
1: Well, I mean, you could still go find me on Twitter because it hasn't mm-hmm. sunk below the surface of the water yet. We don't need it's to Oh, it hasn't sunk. Yeah, we don't. you mean X? Son? Don't you mean X? I do, but I still <laughs> call it Twitter. I don't know. I think X is like the silliest name for it ever. It's just it's awful. I don't I don't like it at all. It is. So I'm still on there. I'm still on there. You can still find me there. And if I leave there, you can probably find out where I'm going from there. I do have a Blue Sky account, but it's just, you know, fairly quiet. So it's, you know, I'd rather be, I want to be where the people are to bring another (sighs) sea shanty kind of singing. That's from The Little Mermaid, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. If you didn't recognize that. Um, I did. (laughs) Yeah. So we got to bring all the, the submarine and sea themes in here. Uh, yeah, so that that is that is uh, where I am, uh, and currently, you know, other than Manifest Destiny, I am working on the RPG for. Are you, are y'all like fantasy novel fans, people? I, I am. Think yes. So. Do you do you know of uh, an author by the name of Brandon Sanderson?
2: Yes. Yes.
1: So there's a Stormlight Archive RPG coming out from Brotherwise Games and. Uh, I'm yes. going to be right well, on that. I'm working on it. Like literally, as soon as I get off this call, I have a call with the team to um, think about how do we make fabrials? Uh, wow. that's, how do we craft fabrials I, in this world? That's what the call is all about.
0: Sweet. No, that's, that's going to be excellent. Well, Sen, thank you so much. We look forward to all the greatness that you and everyone you work with are going to be bringing to this world. If you want to support Sen, you know, follow him on Twitter, do everything he says. Manifest Destiny's will be coming to game is game GameFound or Kickstarter next year? I, I don't know. That's a Jay decision. Okay, I'll ask Jay about it later then. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure uh, it'll so be Kickstarter. I'm
1: pretty sure it'll be Kickstarter, though.
0: Okay, I'll make sure I'll make sure I'll clarify that before this episode releases. Well, listeners, as always, my name is Josh.
2: And I'm Andrew. And I'm Sen.
0: And <laughs> this has been the Tabletop Submarine. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the Tabletop Summary Podcast, please consider giving us five stars on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends, family, and other gamers in your life. See you on the next voyage.